0: Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turning your Bibles to Isaiah 42. In verse 1, Behold my servant. I will uphold him, my elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He shall bring forth justice to the nations. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoking wick he shall not quench. He shall bring forth justice to truth. He shall not fail nor be crushed until he hath said justice in the earth, and the coasts shall wait for his law. Now this was the Old Testament messianic prophecy. Jesus read that same prophecy in Matthew 12:18. Except the way that Matthew 12:18 puts it has a finished work touch to it that Isaiah 42 didn't. Why? Because Isaiah 42 was under the law and Jesus came to bring grace and truth. In verse 18 of Matthew 12, the very same passage, Behold my child. A servant of God is actually a child of God. There's so many times when people resist the thought of being servants. They want to be leaders. They don't want to be servants. You can't be a leader without being a servant. If you're a leader without being a servant, you're a dictator or a tyrant, but you're nothing much of a leader. But here, Jesus says, Behold my child, whom I chose. And then the second part of that is, I will uphold him in Isaiah. Well, in Jesus' quote, it says, Whom I chose. If you are chosen, you will be upheld by God. Simple as that. Isaiah says, My elect in whom my soul delights. Jesus says, My beloved in whom my soul has delighted. Then Isaiah says in verse 3, He shall bring forth justice to truth. And Jesus says in verse 20, he, until he bring forth judgment to victory. You see, this is the finished work perspective of things. Now, this is a passage about what Christ will do, not only about who he is in Isaiah and what he has done in Matthew 12. In Isaiah, it says he has set justice in the earth In Matthew 12, he says he brings forth judgment to victory. Now, there is a difference between justice and judgment, but it's not a big difference. The only difference between judgment and justice is that one is the noun and the one is the verb. Justice is the noun form, judgment is the verb form. And this is what Jesus came to give, justice, or the verb form, judgment. So, this leads us to the question, what is God's justice system? Because this is what Jesus came to establish, God's justice system. Now, I can tell you right now, it's not true of knowledge of good and evil. I can also tell you it's not talking about the legal system. It's not removing the legal system. It's not supporting the legal system. It's unrelated to the legal system in the world. When we talk about the finished work, when we talk about the justice of God, we have to be careful not to extend that thought to the justice system that you find in the state or in the country the legal system, the system of law enforcement. God does not speak of those in passages here. Now, he did set up a system like that. Moses gave that. However, in this section, when we're talking about justice, we're not talking about anything in the world. That has its place. It falls under national entity. We're not dealing with national entity here. So it is something entirely unrelated, entirely different. But God does have a justice system. Sometimes God's justice system is thought of as though it was the world's justice system. In other words, you have sinned, now you will be punished. There are even groups that say that the things that are going wrong in your life are the result of sin in your life. God is not punitive. Even hell is not punitive. Hell was not created for people. It was created for Satan and the fallen angels. And the reason why it was created for them, the reason why it is that for them, is because God has to remove them. They have chosen what they have chosen. They had the opportunity, they were created there to be in heaven, they wanted the opposite of all that God is, and part of the opposite of all that God is, is also the opposite of all that heaven is, and therefore, Hell. God gave them what they have chosen for themselves. Humans were not intended to go there, but when people fall under the authority and dominion of the evil one to such a point that they never in their life have a moment of faith toward Christ, then they will go with the kingdom they have affiliated themselves with. And the kingdom of the enemy ends up in hell. Now, there is a justice system with God. It's not punitive. In other words, God is not looking to punish people. Punishment is really nothing within God's mentality. We think that people should be punished because we see people doing right, doing wrong. Those who do wrong should be punished. We're taught this as children. We're taught this in schools. We're taught this as adults with the justice system that's in the world. But like we said, God's system and the world's system are not related. God's justice system is completely different. It's done completely differently. Remember in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, God's ways and thoughts are far above our ways and thoughts. God does not function like people do. God does not approach things the way that people approach things. God does not think like people think. God's justice system is something entirely different. In God's justice system, in Matthew 7, one, he says, Do not judge that you may not Be judged. For whatever judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with whatever measure you measure, it will be measured again to you. In God's justice system, you choose your judgments. Not the judgment you give, but the judgment you receive. If you try to judge, then you will receive exactly the kind of judgment you have selected. That's just part of God's justice system. He lets you choose. Now, in Romans 2.1, he does say, You are without excuse anyone who judges. For in that which you judge the other, you condemn yourself. For you, those judging, practice the same things. Now, somebody may go out there in their self-righteousness and they judge someone, let's say, who has fallen into fornication or drug abuse or what have you. Sometimes you actually have churches who will refuse these people entry just because, in their minds, they're sinners. They don't want their church to be polluted or corrupted with somebody who's less than what they think. That person ought to be. They would have a really interesting time of it with David. Because David was a train wreck, yet he was the greatest king in history and he will be the prince of the millennial reign. It will be an interesting relationship there. But there are these people, there are these places that would not accept somebody coming in when they come out of a background that is sinful overtly. Now, failure to love is a worse sin than something like drug abuse or fornication, because it is a failure against the character of God. Those people sin against their body, but failure to love, failure to be merciful, failure to be kind or patient, failure to have compassion is a sin against the character of God a much more serious transgression. Remember, in Proverbs chapter 6, where it gives the sins that God hates, only one of them is overt. The other sins are sins of the attitude or sins of the tongue. But only one of them is overt. Self-righteousness is a far worse sin than drug abuse. As far as God goes. He says, don't judge, lest you be judged. If you judge, then you've done the same things. Now, sometimes somebody will say to themselves, well, I was never a fornicator. I was never a drug abuser. I was never all these things. And God says, yes, you were. And the reason for that is very simple. Because in Revelation 1, five, the blood of Christ removes all sin, including those sins. It removes all sin, in Psalm 103.12, from space-time, hence time. And God has no recollection of those sins, therefore, in Hebrews 8.12. If I'm judging someone, I'm the one who's bringing the sin back on the table. God has taken it off the table, I put it back on the table. And because I'm the one who put it on the table... God says, that belongs to me. I never did it, but you put it on the table. It belongs to you. And he will deal with us accordingly. And we say, but I never did those things. And God says, it belongs to you. You're the one who put it there. It belongs to you. So we have to be extremely careful with the way that we relate to people in God's justice system, but we also have to be very careful in the way we relate to ourselves. But you never go around judging people because you never know the reality of the story. You never know what motives are. You never know what the heart is. You never know what the thought is. You never know what the background is. You never even know what that person's genetic makeup is. Things that cause people to do stuff, sometimes things they really ought not to do, yes, granted, but there's a story behind that that we have no idea and very possibly, as a matter of fact, I would say almost certainly, if we had the same background with the same genetics and the same history, we'd be doing the same things. So the reason why I'm not into, let's say, drug abuse or fornication is because I was never in the situation or am not now in the situation where that would become an issue, but those people are. So we don't judge them. If I was in their shoes, I'd probably be doing that also. In Romans 14.4, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand. Now, made is the future passive indicative. It's a passive voice. That means he's not going to stand on his own ability. Somebody, God, will give him the ability to stand. He's going to be made by God to stand. For God is able, the word is dunatos, able, powerful, mighty, and strong to make him stand. God has the ability and the power to make the worst sinner stand. Never get hung up on sin. Don't sin, but don't get hung up on it either. Never get hung up on sin. If I'm hung up on sin, I'm hung up on something that God has removed. Never get hung up on sin. Never be afraid of mistakes. God removes mistakes. Stay focused on God. Stay focused on the Word of God and you'll have a government of God in your life and those things won't become an issue. But never get hung up on negatives. In John 8.15, you judge according to the flesh. The word according is the Greek word kata. And it means down from, out of, through. It implies a source. You judge and the source of your judgment is your old sin nature. This is a bad source for any kind of evaluation or activity to begin with, much less judgment. You judge out of your own flesh by the means of your own ability to interpret something in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, when we judge, we violate God's justice system, and the way that we do it is we start to walk by sight, or by hearing, or by the appearance or seeming qualities of something. Those qualities are highly unreliable. They don't give us the story, they don't give us the context, they don't give us history, they don't give us any information at all. They just give us the appearance or the sound of something. But that's not much information to go on. We never judge out of our old sin nature. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, when the Word of God says that We know no one according to the flesh. That's the word kata also. We don't relate to somebody, we don't have a relationship with somebody on the basis of our own old sin nature. A lot of people think we don't know them on the basis of their old sin nature. That's not possible for me to evaluate without judging them. You never want to get to that point. Why did demons become demons when they were once holy angels? Because in Ezekiel 28, verses 15 through 18, Lucifer was scandalized by the grace of God. God said in his word, first that mankind would fall, and there would be salvation for them. Angels would fall, and there was no salvation for them. He got his feelings hurt because of that. On the basis of those hurt feelings, he started a rebellion. But there was more to it than that. In Isaiah 13-14, Satan gave his five wills. Why did he give them? Because he was the covering cherub. And as the covering cherub, he was number two in heaven to God. And suddenly God was doing something scandalous. First of all, God wasn't being fair to the angels. Or so the accusation went. Why can't the angels be saved? I've heard people say that. Why can't the angels be saved? Because in Ephesians 2.8, salvation is by grace through faith. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith necessarily requires the absence of being able to see. Angels see God face to face. So, number one, angels are not capable of faith because they don't have the condition whereby faith could exist. And number two, grace is strictly undeserved. Angels were created perfect. So, they're not able to receive grace and they're not able to enter into faith. And because they can't enter into faith, there is no mechanism for salvation for an angel. But before you feel too bad for the demons, and I strongly recommend against that one, realize that only one-third of all the angels fell in Revelation 12. And the estimates by reliable Christian sources are that only 2% of the world's population is saved. So 66.7% of the angels stayed right with God and only 2% of the humans are right with God. So don't feel too bad that the angels fell without salvation. Because with salvation, only 2% of people actually get saved. In heaven, Satan was scandalized by the fact that God would become a man who was created lower than the angels. He was scandalized by the fact that God would become one person in Ephesians two fifteen and 16 with people and that we would become his angels. Body, we, the sinners. He was perhaps most greatly scandalized by the fact that God would actually die. The giver of life was going to lose his life. How does that even happen? And so the number two official, if you will, in heaven says, God is not fit anymore to be God I will have to be God. I'm in that position. And he rebelled against God, not because of anything that God did or was. It's not even possible for God to be somehow other than God. But he didn't trust him. He didn't know God's character. He knew God was creator and he knew God was holy and he knew God was king, but he didn't know what any of that actually meant. He thought holiness was a manifestation of perfection and it's an angelic standard, whereas mankind, we have our standard is grace and holiness is manifested in the love of God. He didn't get it and he was very self-righteous and therefore he went and started a rebellion, challenging the angels about some aspect of God's justice or righteousness or fairness or what have you. And we know, of course, that the angels that agree with him fell. But the angels that did not agree with him and the ones who said, God is just, God is fair, God is righteous, they fell also. You may be surprised online to hear that. But no one, including an angel, can stand in judgment of God whether it's on the good side of the tree of knowledge or the evil side. It's still, in Ezekiel 31.18, satan's tree. Two-thirds of the angels said, the Lord rebuke you, because that was the correct response. God's justice system is far different than ours. We don't deal with other believers who belong to God, who are the body of Christ, regardless of what we may perceive or think about them, we don't deal with them according to a human justice system. We have to deal with them according to God's justice system. In John twelve forty seven, Jesus said, I did not come that I might judge the world but that I might save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive me, my words, has that judging him. The word which I spoke, that will judge him in the last day. Christ will not judge. They are condemned because they went against the word of God. In other words, the word of God in Romans 10.17 produces faith in someone. In Matthew 7.23, there are those people who will stand before God and they will say, didn't we do many wonderful things in your name? And God will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the reason why they go to hell. That's the reason why they're not saved. They were never known by God. The blood of Christ removes all sin. In Revelation one five, out of time in Psalm 103.12. In Romans 14.23, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If a person's life never has even a single moment of faith toward Christ, then that person's entire life is removed from time by the blood because it amounted to nothing but sin. Since there's nothing of their life remaining in time, God doesn't know them. When he said, I never knew you, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, never is a time reference. God is looking at time. And he said, You're not there. The blood of Christ did that. The very thing which is our hope will also eliminate those who refuse him, who would not trust him, not even for a moment. If they trusted him for a moment, then they are in time, and he will know them. But if they didn't, Their entire life amounted to sin. So he doesn't judge them. The word of God would have given them faith had they received the word of God at least for a moment and they would remain. He doesn't judge them. What judges them is that they never received the word of God such that it would give them even a moment of faith. And therein is their judgment. In Romans 5.8 God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Commends means in the original language to take two things and make them into one. This is the judgment of God. That we were sinners and Christ died for us so that we, in Ephesians 2:15 and 16, could become the one new man with him so that we could become one entity with the love of God. God doesn't punish. God draws. God redeems. God restores. He's not punitive. He's redemptive. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, he reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. In Romans 5.9, we are now justified by the blood of Christ. In other words, the blood of Christ leaves no sin in us. There's nothing to judge. There's nothing to punish. There's no negativity to be found. There are no shortcomings. There are no trespasses. There's nothing. There's nothing that God would judge in us. Because whatever there might have been, the blood of Christ has removed it and now we are the one new man. We are one person with God. We are the Second Corinthians five seventeen 17 new creature. He made us to be completely new. All things are become new. All things about our life are become new. There's nothing in us to judge. That's God's justice system. He doesn't punish the transgressor. He removes the transgression. In 1 Peter three eighteen. Christ suffered concerning sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And just for the unjust, some people want to say, well, Christ was punished for us. That's not a good statement. That would suggest that God was punitive, that somehow sin was unforeseen and punishment was the result. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is punitive? He didn't punish them. He restored them. He redeemed us. There's nothing about humans, even though the just died for the unjust, all that meant was the perfect God died so that the imperfect people could be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb as they are one new man with Him at the cross in verse 16 of Ephesians 2, as the blood is being shed, our sins on His body, because we are His body and we were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb as it was shed on the cross. What does God do with us? He buys us back. He doesn't get angry. He can get angry at people, but he doesn't get angry. The only thing that angers God is when people refuse his mercy. But I don't care what sort of a believer you are. As long as you are a believer, you will never face the anger of God. Well, sometimes people say, well, then I can sin. And the Romans 6.14 says, no, you can't. Sin shall have no dominion over you, it says there, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That means you have a new government in your life. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Well, whatever is not of faith is sin. The blood of Christ removes that. We, through the word of God, enter into grace by faith. And grace becomes the government in Hebrews 4.16 that we are under. If I'm not under sin because I'm not under law, then i'm not under anything that contradicts god if i sin because i'm under grace and this is what i say to myself i can sin because i'm under grace then i'm no longer under grace but instead in john 8 but instead in john 8:34 i become a slave to sin So, if I am under grace, I'm not going to sin because if I sin actively thinking to myself I can do it, grace will take care of it, I'm no longer under grace. I'm no longer under the government of God. I'm now in that which is not of faith, I'm now in that which the blood removes. And because the blood removes it, God never needs to bring it up with me even when I see him at the Beamer seat, God will never bring it up to me because he's already removed it. God doesn't punish sin. God removes sin. It's like a bank robber who gets caught and instead of being thrown into jail, the judge somehow manages away to undo the crime. To take it out of history. So that he was never a bank robber. And to put him in jail would simply be unjust. In Jeremiah thirty-one three, The Lord appeared to me of old saying Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And this is talking to an Israel that is sorely backslidden. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. Again I will build you and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. This is God's justice system. That we are taken out of sin by the love of God. The holiness of God is manifested in the love of God. It's not manifested in His perfection. It's manifest in His character. That draws us. When we are drawn to God, we start to respond to Him. It's irresistible. When you respond to Him, He rebuilds us. Not only does He remove all sin from time, and He does do that, the blood, that is the activity of it. But then, he restructures us. He gives us a new mind through his word. Because we have a new mind through his word, as a result of the mirror neurons in our brain, we take on the experiences that his word impart to us. With new experiences, we have new physiological effects. Those experiences are the result of a new perception as the Word of God becomes the basis of our thinking. In those new perceptions, one of the physiological effects is that our epigenome, that part of our genetics which controls the function of the DNA, is changed. The DNA is not changed, the epigenome is. The software is the epigenome. That can change. The hardware is the DNA. The software runs the hardware. Because the Word of God, through the activity of the mirror neurons, can change the function of the epigenome, And because over one billion cells per hour are replaced in our body all the time, there's never a single cell in us that's older than ten years. When God says, I will rebuild you, that's literally what he means. That is his justice system. God doesn't punish, he rebuilds. And he rebuilds because he restores, he restores because he redeems. And so God's justice system, the end of it, is not someone sentenced to some sort of punishment. It's someone who's being made new, even to the point of their physical body. With a new software package, if you will, for the function of their DNA, every cell is now controlled in its activity and also in its manufacture by this new software. The DNA is instruction how to make you. When the expression of the DNA is changed through the new epigenome, you literally are made new. New body, new mind, new heart everything becomes new. It becomes new because God removed the sin, made the sinner to be one with him, gave the sinner his mind through his word, through his mind gave him even a new physiology, made him physically new, And God's justice system is manifested. God doesn't punish. God makes new. He doesn't punish your old life. He gives you a new life. He doesn't even allow the effects of an old life to be maintained physically. He even gives you new physical structure. Now, there are people who perhaps get a disease because of certain types of sin prior to salvation. A lot of these people get saved and healed instantly. I know a guy prior to salvation, he was a heroin addict. He got saved. He was completely delivered from heroin. No withdrawal, nothing. Because he became new. I know people, when they got saved, they even took on a new appearance. One of them once showed me a picture of them before they were saved and said, can you identify which person in this picture is me? I couldn't. Now, that picture was only taken a year before. They were made new. God's justice system makes you new. It redeems you. It restores you. It accepts you. It joins you to the Savior. And you become a new creature. And old things are passed away. He doesn't destroy people. He rebuilds them. This is the justice system that we receive. This is the justice system that we manifest. That's why we don't judge. Because frankly, there's nothing to judge. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.